The views expressed on this program are not necessarily the views of this station. Content is for educational purposes only. Consult a financial advisor or conduct your own due diligence if investing. The show is pre-recorded. Everyday Wealth is produced and created by Edelman Financial Engines and hosted by Gene Chatsky. Ms. Chatsky is not an employee or client of the firm. She receives fixed cash compensation as host and for related activities, and therefore has an incentive to endorse Edelman Financial Engines and its planners. For additional information, please see www.edelmanfinancialengines.com slash everydaywealth. The 2022 Top 100 Independent Advisory Firm ranking issued by Barron's is qualitative and quantitative, including assets managed by the firm, technology spending, staff diversity, succession planning, and other metrics. Firms elect to participate but do not pay to be included in the ranking. Compensation is paid for use and distribution of rating. Awarded September 2022 based on data within a 12-month period. Investor experience and returns are not considered. Edelman Financial Engines Everyday Wealth will return next week with a new show. Today, we are broadcasting previously aired segments. At the intersection of life and money, this is Edelman Financial Engines Everyday Wealth with personal finance expert, Gene Chatsky. Edelman Financial Engines has been ranked by Barron's as the number one investment advisor in the country. Now, here's Gene Chatsky. Were you betting that commodities were going to help you hedge against inflation? And now, now you're watching extreme weather across the globe disrupt supply chains and inventory, and you're just sitting with a bad bet on the books. Or maybe you took more than a little flyer on crypto, sure that it was going to help you shore up your retirement just as it headed in the other direction. If that sounds at all familiar, there is a very good chance you might have crossed over from investing into speculating. Hi, everybody. I'm Jean Chatsky. This is Edelman Financial Engine's Everyday Wealth. And today, we're going to dive into what happens when you get in over your head, thinking that you're investing when what you've really fallen into is pure speculation. Today, my co-host is Edelman Financial Engines wealth planner, Andy Smith from Indianapolis. When Andy's on the show, you get blunt, easy to understand advice, something that you can count on, by the way, from all of the 300 plus Edelman Financial Engines planners across the country. Hey, Andy, great to see you. Gene, how are you? I am good. So every week I mention that Edelman Financial Engines makes this show possible. EFB brings us the topics that clients are talking about every week so that we have our finger on the button of what you really care about. Andy, you've been with this company for a really long time, I know. Why is Everyday Wealth so important to the company? You know, I think it really goes back to our roots. We've always been an education-first company. So the radio show, the podcast, the webinars, you know, these are all incredible opportunities to talk about things that are on people's minds and really try to provide some much-needed help where they're not able to get it. So often with financial services, you've got people breathing down your necks, trying to sell you something that you don't need. Mm -hmm. For every question that you have, there are no doubt others who are wondering the same thing. So if we can help provide the answers that you need, if we can help save you from horrible mistakes, then this is absolutely everything that we need to get started with. Yeah, education first has always been my mantra as well. And it's one of the things that made me so excited about working with you and with all of the planners at EFE. I've actually been working with the team on some webinars. And one of the things that I like about these webinars is when we deliver this education, it's free. It is centered around topics that so many people are wrestling 
with right now. Topics like how do I deal with 40-year high inflation? How do I craft a withdrawal strategy that'll help protect you from taxes? Well, and I think it's important to kind of kick the tires in a lot of these situations. These are all chances for you to start that relationship, build that relationship. The relationships that I have with my clients they are absolutely unique. So clients are talking about their dreams, their fears, their kids, their worries. You know, sometimes <laughs> I'm the bad guy in the room and I'm fine with that. But that relationship takes a little bit of time to build. It all starts with that first meeting. And the first meeting is a great way to, you know, know who is sitting at the table with you. So if you call 833-PLAN-EFE, you can see what that first meeting is like. And that's 833-PLAN-EFE. And the first step, just picking up the phone. I get a lot of letters from women sitting on a lot of money and they, they haven't yet talked to a financial advisor. And, and I, I'm always encouraging them, just pick up the phone. The first meeting doesn't cost you anything. It's important to just start having these conversations. I'm watching the markets as I know you are. Have you been as surprised as I am with this reversal in direction? I mean, we were going down. We were in a bear market. Now we're maybe in a quasi-bull market, or maybe this is a bear market rally or a sucker's rally or a dead cat bounce. There's so many words for this. I've been doing this a really long time. Uh, absolutely nothing surprises me when it comes to the market. It can stay irrational a lot longer than all of us can stay sane. Uh, it can move a lot farther and faster than we can ever imagine. The issue is not necessarily the flip, but how you're positioned, how you are invested through these last couple of months here with the market. I think a lot of people saw the numbers in the market head south very quickly during the first half of the year. They saw inflation popping. Some people made rash decisions or were just stymied, wondering what was the right thing to do. And, you know, if that sounds like you or your spouse or both of you together, maybe you're looking for a way out. Ultimately, I think it comes down to one big question. Have you taken on too much risk? I think that's absolutely the key. With investing, one of the things that I'm always telling people is, you know, as much as it's a dollars and cents and a numbers sort of game, it's also a mental and an emotional exercise. Mm -hmm. And there's some times where people are just laying awake at three o'clock in the morning, they're counting the cracks in the ceiling, and they're just absolutely freaked out. So when I talk to them the next day, we're going through all the different goals, we're restating the financial plan that we put together. The bigger problem is when you don't have somebody to talk to about those things that you're feeling and thinking at three o'clock in the morning. So if you're doing this on your own, if you've got some less than desirable, you know, advisor or broker giving you some suggestions and talking into your ear saying buy this or sell this, you really do need to talk to somebody that you trust, that you can have these conversations with because when the market moves like it does, you want to make sure that you're not doing the wrong things at absolutely the wrong time. I think this is a time that you can get into that mindset of wanting to ride the potential big waves of certain investments, certain stocks, maybe certain commodities to a big, quick 
return. And you might even be thinking about futures trading or short selling or buying on margin, anything to make a quick buck and perhaps recoup some of the money that you feel like you've lost earlier in the year, especially if you made the mistake of selling when the markets were at their lowest. I got to imagine, Andy, when somebody walks into your office wanting to jump into these scenarios, it's your job to pump the brakes and, and there are big conversations to be had. How do you course correct when people bring you ideas like this? The first thing that I do is I usually try to ask them what bonkers newsletter that they've been pitched or some spam email that they've read, (laughs) some TV commercial, some YouTube. They've received this must-act advice because that's where we usually see the conversations headed. It comes down to what type of investor are you? There's two types of market participants. There are the long-term investors who understand the ups and downs of the market. There are market cycles. They know how different asset classes perform. They're willing to wait it out. And then you got your speculators, people who view investing as this game to beat, and they are trying to make the most amount of money in the least amount of time possible. The real difference between those two groups comes down to risk. Everything that I do, you know, when we build these plans, when we look at the the goals-based approach that we have with clients, we're trying to find the least amount of risk necessary for you to achieve your goals. You have to remember that investments are just a tool that can help you move your plan forward. They're not always the end-all be-all that you want to obsess over and track and look 8,000 times on your phone. But this speculating, it's more like gambling. It's It's an incredible amount of risk. You're basically betting that you're going to get this outsized gain on your money, but you have to realize that you could absolutely lose everything. Yeah, it's something that people don't think about all too often until it's too late. When I was pregnant for the first time, I had a copy of this book, What to Expect When You're Expecting. And I would read ahead if I was on my, you know, fourth month, I'd be reading my fifth month. And all of a sudden I started to develop the bad things happening that if you notice this, you were going to get this. And it led me down all of these roads that were in fact really dangerous to my mental health at the time. And my husband ended up just taking the book away from me. He was like, you do not need to read this anymore. Why? Because you have a doctor and you see that doctor on a monthly basis and you should just talk to your doctor about what to expect and she'll give you the real perspective. That's exactly what we're talking about here. All of these People who, as you put it, are reading bonkers newsletters and getting these ideas about speculative investments are reading what to expect when they're expecting to make a million dollars and and they're going down the wrong path. And I think that that's the problem, right? So if you're doing this on your own, if you've got some less than scrupulous advisor or broker that's trying to pump all these ideas or thoughts or strategies into you and you you don't have an outlet where you can just get some information where you need it, you're just basically ready to blow yourself up. A lot of people don't have the ability to go online and look at just absolutely terrible news and information and everything else and turn that off because they have this other outlet to get the information. Can you give me an example of speculation? And let's talk about how it differs from investing or or goals-based investing. 
Sure. Uh, so examples of speculation. You've got crypto to some extent, penny stocks, currency plays, emerging market stocks, rare materials, pharma in some ways, collectibles, art, old cars. I mean, anything where you hope to assign this incredible value to this particular investment and you hope that you're able to find somebody down the road who shares that and wants to pay a little bit more for what that investment is. But the true difference or a, you know, a difference between speculation where you're focusing on these types of investments and more goal-based, longer-term investing, it's all about risk. It's all about volatility. And one of the things that we talk about, one of the things that I try to help clients with as they bring in these ideas and stuff that they read from newsletters or something that they're getting pitched is, all right, how much risk are you taking on to do what it is that you hope to do, right? You know, Mm -hmm. is the juice worth the squeeze in this particular situation? And so when we sit down, when we look at the different investments, I go in and, and talk in pretty specific financial terms. There's something called standard deviation, and it's a statistical measure in finance, and it shows how distributed an investment's returns are around its mean return. So you've got the average return, and then you have different points that show what the investment has done in relation to that average return. That distribution sheds light on that investment's volatility. So the Mm -hmm. greater the distribution, the greater the volatility. So all these just wacko investment ideas that people are are thinking about, I think that they would be absolutely shocked to see what the standard deviation is of these investments. When you talk about the amount of risk that people are taking, I think about the amount of money that they're putting into these speculative investments. So I own a little bit of crypto, not going to make me rich, but also not going to cause me to not be able to retire or go on vacation or meet any other of my goals because I took a very small slice of my portfolio and I said, I want to play with this. It was a very active choice on my part. Maybe I'll make some money and maybe I won't, but in the scheme of my life, it doesn't matter. And it's something that I talked about with my advisor. So do you ever have clients who say, yeah, I I know what I'm doing. I want to take this flyer. We absolutely have these conversations. A lot of times a speculator and an investor could have the exact same investment in their portfolio. You're just using it in different ways. Speculators think that they can make a bajillion dollars off of this just incredible investment because this is the horse that's going to win. This is the one that's going to bring everything home and make it work. When we deal with goals-based financial planning, again, we're using investments as a tool to help people move further along towards their goals. It's just a tool like a hammer or a car or a pair of shoes You have to know what you're doing and why you're using it. Is there ever a time when speculation is a tool that you use in goals-based investing? If you looked at the investments that we have, if you look at the allocations that we manage for clients, if you drilled in and only looked at one of the investments, yeah, I've got clients who say, why in the heck are you using this? Well, it's a couple percentage points. We've heard a lot in the last year-ish about meme stocks 
and and we've seen how speculation in these meme stocks you know really destabilizes the stock is that true of a speculation overall i think what we saw with a lot of the wall street bets and the reddit stuff with you know amc and gamestop and everything else again incredibly short-term thinking. A lot of times you've got investors trying to, quote-unquote, stick it to the man. The best way to beat the system is to not have the system absolutely eat your lunch when your trade goes the wrong way and you lose everything. So people using social media, Snapchat, TikTok, everything else, yeah, it's fun to look at every once in a while, but people are actually using these as investment tools. I talked to a, a niece of a client last week she mentioned something that she saw on TikTok. I had no clue what it was. And it, and it turns out it's just absolutely garbage. But people are taking hard-earned money and applying it to this. I think a lot of it has to do with, you know, again, this idea that you can make a quick buck, you can make it work. They just saw something about it, but they don't know how to get out of it when, when things turn south. And when things turn south, it often happens incredibly quickly. And that's when people really get stuck. Some people say that when you buy individual stocks, rather than buying larger diversified funds, that is a bit speculative. What would you say to that? Again, it's a tool. You have to know how you're using the tool within your overall plan. You have to understand what you're using, how you're using it, and how it works with all the other investments that are there. Um, A lot of times we talk to people who have incredibly large positions from their company inside their 401k. So a lot of times people feel compelled or need to hold those individual stocks. And it's a matter of building a plan that makes sense for them in that particular situation. Um, Other times people just really do want to speculate. They want to take a runner. I go through all the issues with them, try to help them understand standard deviation, what the volatility is. But in all of this, it comes down to understanding what are your investments What are your speculative investments and how they work within your overall plan? If you're doing this on your own, if you're getting investment advice from social media or some crazy coworker, you need to reach out. You need to get some help. You need to talk to somebody who can explain these things for you. And if you're trying to build a diversified portfolio with individual stocks, you need to own at a minimum 12 and most likely 20 or more in order to cover your bases. One of the things that we always tell people is that if you've got some runner that you want to buy, you need to probably spend like an hour per week per stock to keep track of everything. So you start to do the math, right? You've got 20, 30, 50 individual stocks that you're just absolutely in love with. All of a sudden, this turns into a full-time job for you if you want to do it correctly. And that's just not the case for a lot of people. They've got lives, they've got jobs, they've got families. All of these other things are taking precedence and rightly so. Then all of a sudden you've got these 20, 30, 50 stocks that you don't know what they're doing. You don't know how they're interacting with other investments in the portfolio. These are the problems a lot of times when you try to go in and invest in individual securities. Such an important point. Andy, we need to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to dive into buying a car, which, thank you, inflation has gotten so much tougher this year and last year because of the supply chain problems and the fact that prices are 
higher than many of us have ever seen them before. We'll work out the details, whether you are looking at buying, whether you're looking at leasing. I'm Jean Chatsky here with Andy Smith. You're listening to Edelman Financial Engines Everyday Wealth. Stay with us. Are you worried about the current volatility of the market, inflation rates, talk of a recession? Are you second guessing your investment decisions? What better time than now to ensure your finances are moving forward than by getting an expert second opinion from an Edelman Financial Engines planner? Whether you already have a planner or simply need a new perspective, they can help you manage your wealth plan to both weather the volatility of the market today and help you protect and preserve it over the long term. To schedule your complimentary wealth checkup today, call 833-PLAN-EFE. That's 833-752-6333. Or visit their website at efewealthplanners.com. Put your uncertainties to rest once and for all. Schedule your complimentary wealth checkup right now. Hi, I'm Jean Chatsky, Andy Smith, and Edelman Financial Engines Wealth Planner from Indianapolis is my co-host. Andy, so great to have you here. Jean, thanks. It's great to be with you. We've been talking about what happens when you cross the line from sound investing and you move into this area of speculation and how you might course correct. A financial advisor can potentially save you from a real mistake with real consequences. That unvarnished approach, that's what you get when you work with a wealth planner like Andy or one of the 300 plus wealth planners at Edelman Financial Engines. And if you think you'd like to work with a wealth planner like Andy, you can visit planEFE.com. That's planEFE.com. We're going to switch gears just a bit here, Andy. Last week, we talked about the CPI Um, inflation dropped, not a ton, but a little more than projected. However, for anyone who was in the market for a car, they're just out of luck. You know, new car prices are, what, like 13% higher Mm -hmm. from this time versus last year. A lot of times you're going to have to add in interest rates if you're not paying cash. So shopping for a car right now just really isn't as much fun as it used to be. Used cars are even worse. A lot of times people are paying, what, like an average of 40, over 40% more versus a used car in past years. So it's a tough time right now if you have to get your transportation squared away. Yeah. Although if you have a used car that you want to sell, it's actually a very, very good time. But let's keep our focus on the on the buying side of the equation. Is it better to lease or to buy in this economic environment? Well, you know, the good advisor in me would say it depends. But you know, <laughs> a lot of times I'm going to advise people, it's often better to lease a car than to buy if a couple of things. If you like a new car every couple of years, if you drive less than 15,000 miles, if you're not just going to beat the absolute tar out of the car over that period of time. When we go down that road and when we look at leasing, there's a couple of things that I want people to keep in mind. Don't choose any additional options with a leased car because the dealer's going to charge you for them and you're not going to get your options back um, when you turn it in. Make sure that you get gap insurance. This protects the person leasing the car from having to pay the difference between the residual value and the market value at the end of the lease. Avoid the cap cost reduction 
you know, avoid putting a larger deposit down to reduce your monthly payments. That's where people get tripped up a lot of times. They think, I want to pay 700 bucks a month. And then they kind of back in to the calculation from there. So that's something to keep in mind. The big thing is do not lease beyond the car's warranty. On the overall decision, you just have to understand yourself. I've been a buyer for many years, in part because I tend to drive my cars well over the three years that you would have them on a lease. But I also was a commuter for many, many years. And I knew that I would put more mileage on the car than the lease would allow. That's not true these days with so many people working from home. And that's why I said at the beginning, it depends on your particular situation. In the past, the wear and tear, the use calculus was absolutely important. Now it's more, how often do you want a new car? One other thing that I would say is how sales tax is calculated when you're leasing versus when you're buying. When you're leasing, remember, you're just paying for the amount of time that, you've, that you're going to actually own and use the car. So a lot of times the sales tax calculation is going to be a little bit less because you're not on the hook for the entire price. When you purchase, the sales tax is going to be there. So that's something else to keep in mind as you're going through these sorts of decisions. I'm sure many of you are thinking, what are you talking about regular cars this week? The president just signed the Inflation Reduction Act into law, and there are benefits in that law for electric cars. And that is true. But as somebody who is thinking about an electric car myself, I was a little bit surprised that they were more limited than I thought they might be. So here here are the rules. Um, There is a $7,500 electric vehicle purchase tax credit, but it only applies if the price of the car that you buy, the price of a sedan is under $55,000, the price of an SUV or a truck is under $80,000, which means you got a lot of Teslas, a lot of Mercedes, maybe some Porsches that are not going to uh, qualify. The typical Tesla Model 3, for example, it goes for $63,000. So it's not going to qualify, although the base model would. Um, Price is also not the only factor. The final assembly of the car has to be done in North America, which disqualifies some Hyundais, some Kias, some Audis, and some Polestars. And buyers don't qualify if their household income is above $300,000 for a married per- married couple or 150000 for a single person, which is not to say that you shouldn't buy an electric car. My next car, Andy, is going to be an electric car. You just have to take all of these things into consideration. These are big financial decisions. How do you talk to your clients about finding the appropriate place for them in their plans? You have to just hit them with it right between the eyes. How are you going to afford this? Because people love to talk about buying cars. People love to talk about travel and all the stuff that they want to do for kids and grandkids, and especially once they hit retirement. But you have to figure out what this is going to cost you. So you have to understand how this all fits in to your overall plan. Um, A lot of times I'll run different scenarios within a person's individual plan to say, all right, this is what it looks like if you lease. This is what it looks like if you buy. This is what it looks like if you keep the car that you have for another couple of years. This is no different than what we do with social security planning 
or retirement dates or income planning, right? You have to understand what happens when we start moving these different levers. What's interesting, I think, about this moment in time is that car buying is just a little bit different because of everything that's going on with the supply chain, with the economy. So right now, leasing is more affordable for many people than buying. Lease terms overall are are typically lower, whether you are looking at a, a very reasonably priced sedan or a luxury model. Even a entry-level Mercedes could be leased in the last month for a little over $400 a month with less than $4,000 down. The other big opportunity here, my favorite car hack right now, if you happen to lease three years ago, buy that car because you locked into a price, the residual value on that car that you could not touch it for today. And I would even say if you don't need the car, buy the car and flip the car, you'll make at least a few thousand dollars. You know, you're absolutely right. One thing to remember about these lease deals, it may look absolutely amazing on the front end and you think that you absolutely have to get into this car, dig in and see what the fuel economy is. Because if you are paying massive amounts of money on the back end for gas, it doesn't matter what that amazing lease deal was on the front end. You just have to do your research. And like we said, look at the overall picture, not just one price. Look at the overall prices for the total ownership of the car. Last month, we started a segment called Investing Sense, which I love, where we focus on investing behavior, some traps that you might fall into. Our guest this month is Dr. Wei Hu, Vice President of Financial Research for Edelman Financial Engines. Wei, welcome back to the show. Always great to have you here as well. Thanks, Jean. Great to be back with you again. Last week, we talked about continuing to invest money, even in a bear market, and how some people are saying that stocks are on sale right now. Is that true? So what we have here is good advice. That is, stay investing if that's part of your financial plan. But it's couched in a little bit of an oversimplified thinking about the markets. The whole notion of stocks being on sale is actually evidence of a behavioral bias called reference points. What is that exactly? Yeah, the basic idea of reference points is that we set mental benchmarks for what the market price has been or what it should be. For example, if you think about the market being down since January 1st, then you might think stocks look cheap. But if you change your reference point and say, why not make it five years ago, then relative to five years ago, you could say that stocks look expensive. So the whole notion of reference points, depending on how you choose a reference point, could really change your opinion of whether stocks are good or bad to invest in, which is actually bad thinking. Give us an example of the difference between looking to the past and how, you know, what time frame that you use versus looking to the future when you're trying to figure out what you're wanting to buy. Yeah, so let's take a couple of examples of stocks. And I'll actually use companies where I'm a customer of their services. So let's look at Peloton, for example. So if you look backward at Peloton as a company, they're down about 90% from their peak price during the pandemic. 
Some people might say, well, people are never going to buy as many Pelotons, and so their stock price won't recover back to those previous peaks anytime soon. That might be the right answer. So the key is to look forward, not look at what happened two or three years ago. Another example might be Netflix, which is down about 50% from its peak. It may recover back to its previous price, but there's no guarantee of that. So those are a couple of real-life examples where you really want to think forward about the prospects, and that's what determines what the stock prices are of those individual companies. Where else do you see people using reference points in a way that leads to bad decision-making? So we help more than a million people in retirement plans help manage their 401k retirement accounts. And one thing that we often see is in cases where the company makes available their company stock in the 401k plan, we see a lot of people overinvest in that company stock and hold on too long. We often see people with more than 25, 50, or even more than 75% of their retirement nest eggs invested in the single stock of their employer. And that's really, really risky. When we have conversations to help understand that they should diversify, we see evidence of reference points affecting their decision making. So when the stock is rising, then everything seems good. People don't want to mess with it. Why tinker with something that's been working well? But then most stocks will eventually see some sort of dip because that's what happens with risk. So when that dip comes, then the reference point starts kicking in and they say, well, I know it's going to recover to its previous peak. So they set that reference point, they wait for it to recover. And then ironically, what you get is a situation where when the stock is rising, they don't want to diversify out of it. And when the stock has fallen, they also don't want to diversify out of it. And so they're in this trap where even though they may recognize when we talk to them that their holding in company stock is too risky, they can't quite overcome that mental hurdle of finding the right time to diversify out of it. The reason that people don't want to sell when things are going well is because they're afraid that it's going to continue to go up and they're going to lose out on all of those future gains. Andy, I'm sure you've got a lot of clients with big positions in company stock that they don't particularly want to let go of. How do you talk them through this? Uh, I show them what it means to continue to hold versus managing risk in a much more appropriate way. A dear friend of mine worked for a company where he could purchase stock at 20% discount. And so he built that into his overall strategy. Before we started talking, he had this gigantic position. And when we started to go through everything and I was showing him the ins and outs of keeping the stock versus diversifying it into a different allocation within the 401k, I tried to show him the ramifications of not doing anything differently versus better managing the risk. And, you know, we had to work on different behavioral things. He felt compelled to purchase the stock from his company. He felt like he was being a good employee by doing that. And so by reframing the conversation and saying, look, you're responsible for yourself, you're responsible for your family, your overall estate. This is what happens if you continue to get a larger and larger piece of this stock in your account. And I showed him the volatility. You have to do that for your particular portfolio because otherwise you're at a company, you have this huge position of company stock in your 401k. You're already getting income from the company. You're already getting health insurance 
from the company. There's so much of your life and possible success that's tied into this one firm. Your job as a prudent manager of your wealth is to figure out how to take on the least amount of risk necessary for you to do what you want to do. That's really what's important when you start talking about these individual positions or how to have these conversations about stock within your 401k or the the overall portfolio. Wei, how do we fight this? One thing that I like to do to get out of the idea of reference points or looking to the back is to ask yourself, if you didn't hold an investment and had to buy it fresh, would you buy that investment with new money? And if the answer is no, you probably shouldn't continue holding it. There may be some tax reasons why you may want to hold on to something that you already hold. But generally speaking, just think about that from a fresh perspective. Would you buy this today if you had to make that decision all over again? So go back to where all of this started. Are stocks on sale? Should people invest now with all the uncertainty of are we in a bear market? Are we not in a bear market? What are the odds for recession? What should people be thinking about right now? I'm going to try to shift away from the language of are stocks on sale. Stocks being on sale requires you to know what the fair price of stocks is, and no one's going to tell you that. But instead, the question is, are stocks a good buy? And the fact of the matter is, when you look at the data, that stocks are almost always a good buy in terms of being a good source of return adjusted for the risk. The recent performance of the stock market does not predict the subsequent returns of the stock market with any reliability. Here's some analysis that we did. When you look at the S&P 500 since the period of 1926 to today, if you separate time periods into two kind of regimes, one where the stock market has recently hit a new peak, so it's rising, or on the other hand, it's recently fallen by 10% or more. Okay, so it's falling to a substantial degree. Look at the subsequent performance in those two regimes. In the first regime where it's been rising, If you look at the next five years, the annualized return has averaged 9.9%. If you look at that other regime where stocks have been falling 10% or more recently, the subsequent five-year period returns are 9.6%. So they're basically indistinguishable from each other, these two kinds of regimes when forward-looking. So the past really does not predict the future at all when you look at stock returns. Mind blown. We're going to have to stop right there. Um, This has been a pleasure. As you all know, I could talk about investing behavior all day long, but that is our show for today. Wei, thank you so much for being here. Always a pleasure, Gene. And Andy, thank you for being my partner in Crime All Show. Always fun, Gene. Thank you. Absolutely. If you all have a question or a topic that you'd like to discuss, we would love to take your question on the air. Just visit everydaywealth.com to submit your question. And together with an EFE Wealth Planner, we'll talk through potential solutions that would be personal to you. And if you want to catch a show you might have missed, you can always listen to the podcast. You can download our podcast at everydaywealth.com or wherever you stream your favorite podcasts. And if you like what you hear, please subscribe and give us a review. We love hearing what you think. I hope you all have a great week. You've been listening to Edelman Financial Engines Everyday Wealth with Gene Chatsky. Edelman Financial Engines has been ranked by Barron's as the number one investment advisor in the country. 
If you've missed an episode or are interested in additional personal finance topics, be sure to subscribe to the Everyday Wealth Podcast. Our podcast library offers helpful insights on topics such as tax-efficient portfolios, retirement withdrawal strategies, investing, and financial planning, to name just a few. To learn more, visit our website, everydaywealth.com, or find our show wherever you stream your favorite podcast.